You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, my name is Nathan. I am your humble and obedient host welcoming you to Sound of Sanity. We've got Ben Solzer, the king of sanity right there. There's one sane person in this world. It's Benjamin Sane, Sane, Sanezolzer, we call her, call him. (laughs) It's a perfect portmanteau. Or just Ben Solzer for short. Or just Ben Solzer for short. Mm -hmm. Speaking of sanity, Ben, why don't you in the sanest fashion, which will be impossible for you not to do because of your great amount of sanity, why don't you introduce the other incredibly sane gentleman on this very podcast. Credible is the word. It's Pastor Jacob Minsel. Hi, Jake. Hey. How are you? Fine. How are you? <laughs> Great. <laughs> Good. Keeping it together. Keeping it together. That's right. That's, that's what, what sane people do. And that's what Ben does. That's what he, I do. He's like Atlas. He's got the <laughs> big globe on his shoulders. And if he shrugs, then Ayn Rand will write a crappy book. All right. Let's... Talk about the thing. Don't shrug, please. (laughs) Don't shrug, (laughs) please. (laughs) Fun fact, through a, fun fact that you, Ben, uh, through a time vortex type situation, you are directly responsible for all of Ayn Rand's books. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) That's the most insulting fun fact about Ben that there's ever been. Man, ethical egoism, here we come. Oh, boo. (laughs) Let's not have any ethical egoism on this podcast. Let's not have any objectivism. Let's just stay away from Ayn Rand unless we're doing a a brutal takedown, which I don't know why why we would because who cares. But today, guys, we're coining our own philosophy, philosophical idea. And we even came up with two names for it, but our listeners have to tell us which name they want us to go with. Or... Better yet, come up with a good name. Or, or yeah, better yet, they could come up with a good one. <laughs> but if you want to vote between a pile of garbage or a f- pile of flaming garbage. <laughs> We're not going to tell you which one is which, but that's the choices you have. Those are the choices you have. I, I actually don't mind either one of these. I think there might be something more inspired. The names are The Past Pain Principle. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's a little generic, whatever. Second one is Traumatic Callousness. Yeah. Which, little highfalutin and maybe not quite, doesn't quite get at the nub of the issue. And also impossible to remember. I was waiting for you to say it so I could remember it. Remember traumatic callousness. And I coined it. Well, okay, so this is a concept that we've been discussing among ourselves. And like so many of our concepts, like opportunism, like other things we've talked about, we thought we'd share it with you, the listener, because it's a helpful little mental handle to have, to describe the world, and perhaps yourself, certainly other people. Certainly to understand yourself and learn how to moderate yourself. Yes. So I can give, let me give an example, and then we can define it, because I think it'll be much easier to define it if we have an example. So I used to smoke cigarettes. Not proud of it, but I did. And I smoked cigarettes for many, many years. And something that I observed among the communities of smokers and ex-smokers as I moved from non-smoker to ex-smoker or yeah i guess that was the journey but in between there 
there was smoker. So non-smoker to smoker to ex-smoker. What I what I observed, and this is this is just like a rule. This is just so true. Always it's almost always true. Ex-smokers have no compassion for people who are still smoking cigarettes. If there's one group of people, and I guess I'm generalizing here, but if there's one group of people that are going to be like, eh, put out that dirty cigarette, you dirty smoker, is going to be an ex-smoker. And the reason is pretty obvious and simple, I guess. I mean, you, you, I don't know whether you would think that that's how it would be, but once you start to think about it, it does make sense because they overcame it. They found a way to quit. And it was painful. And it was painful. And they went through it and they resent the pain. They muscled through it, yeah. They muscled through it. And if I can do it, you can do it. And I resent the fact that I had to give it up. I chose to give it up. It was painful. And there you are indulging in it. Right. Like an idiot. I, I found myself doing this before. I, I try to, once I sort of became aware of it, I try to moderate it and not do it. But if, I, if I'm talking to someone who's still smoking cigarettes, I do have this urge, like, I did it. Here's how I did it. It worked. If you were just willing to follow these steps, it would be hard, but you I can mean, do it. You can do it. I did it. So yeah, what's, what's it's your actually problem? not hard. I, I find myself. I mean, it is hard, but also just do it. And you, you'd think like, I mean, I was addicted for cigarettes for two years. I smoked a lot of cigarettes. I was a pack a day smoker. And it took me many, 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 many tries to finally quit smoking cigarettes. And it's one of those things where you're, you're never really an ex-smoker. If somebody gave me a pack and I, for whatever dumb reason, smoked it, I could be a smoker again in a minute. I mean, it's like some people with alcohol or different addictions. It's you, you, It never really goes away in a certain sense. Uh, not that God can't give us victory and all that sort of thing. That's not what I'm saying. But you know what I mean if you've ever struggled with a substance abuse problem of any type. So you'd think maybe I'd, ha I'd, I'd have more compassion for somebody who couldn't quit smoking, but actually I have less. And so there's the example. Now it's the concept as if people haven't already grasped it. It is the places where you have pain or scars in your life from sacrifices you've made are the places where you're often tempted to have the least compassion for other people that are where you were. And that works itself out all the time. And it works itself out with things like smoking. It works itself out with things like diet and exercise, being fat or skinny. Actually, if you would just actually, there are actionable steps you can take to lose weight and to get fit or to put on muscle and get fit. And if you would just follow the process, and I went from uh, scrawny guy to fit guy or from fat guy to fit guy and just shut up and do it. I feel like many of the most aggressive red pill type uh, gurus are like this. I right. used to be a wimp who couldn't hold down a job and my wife could barely stand to look at and me. And then she divorced and, me. And then I went to the gym and I learned about testosterone and I learned about all this other stuff. And now hot 18 year old girls are throwing themselves at me. And the fact that you're not doing any of this stuff means you're the world's biggest loser. Right. Because I was the world's biggest loser and I did it and it worked. And Right. You can take a long walk in the sticks if you're not willing to do it too. Yeah. And and then, I mean, I guess sort of comparable places in theology, be your cage stage Calvinist who he spent five years fighting with the sovereignty of God and not being able to process it and wrap his head around it. And then one day it finally clicked and now he expects everybody in his life to 
make that jump mm -hmm. with him, and they're probably not even Christians if they haven't. Right. This works too, especially, and I think going to the red pill is is important because when you go through the knothole on family issues, people get this way, especially when it comes to things like marriage and kids and things like that. Oh, I have sacrificed certain. I made I've made certain career choices that were sacrifices or education choices that were sacrifices to get married and to have babies. And now, if you are anywhere but fully committed to being a stay-at-home mom who's making babies, then I have no patience for you whatsoever, and I'm just going to let you have it. Or if I'm a dad that let his family down that road. Yeah, it's just like all of these little places in our lives, right, where we've mm -hmm. made sacrifices ourselves for something good that actually we have to be able to process our pain in a way that isn't bitter and angry and not oppress other people with our bitterness over the pain that we've experienced or the sacrifices we've made. Yeah, I mean, I think if I may be so bold, this is a very observable phenomenon among women who have sacrificed things for biblical sexuality a woman you you will meet or observe on social media or any number of other places, observe in your church life, whatever, women who have sacrificed careers and job opportunities and uh, degrees and things like that in order to be stay-at-home mothers. And some of them, unfortunately, have very little patience for anyone who's even in the process of repenting or somewhere or on Or just beginning to wrap their heads around it. Yeah. You know, they've got anywhere from 20 to 30 to 40 years of lies about the way God made them and that they've bought into and given themselves to and uh, traps that they've gotten themselves caught in with debt or whatever else. And it's just hard to disentangle yourself from all of that. And it's even harder when you've got somebody at your throat demanding everything in the moment. Right. Well, the entanglements that come with those lies are really hard to get out of. And just the ways that, just to take a simple example, if someone becomes convicted that uh, their the wife needs to come home, but the way they've set up their life is a full dual income life with two full time salaries. You can't just necessarily walk away from that, especially if you've accrued a significant debt that you're still trying to pay off in the process, or if the mortgage for your house is the house that you would buy with that. Right. Income. Like it's it, just, it all it's, just is tied together. It's not that simple. There's real things. There's real money involved. There's real property involved. There's very concrete reasons why people can't just blow up their lives necessarily. And I'm not saying there aren't places where we just need to blow up our lives in search of, as we repent sometimes. But there's also a lot of places where it's more complicated than that. And there's a certain kind of person who has very little grace for those complications and for the process of repentance taking anything more than two seconds. Well, that can also be a person who didn't actually have to sacrifice to get there. That Maybe they just grew up with certain principles already in place, but they can still feel that sense of sensorious irritation mm -hmm. towards someone who is entangled, like we're talking about. Yeah, you get a little bit prodigal son older brother stuff. Yeah, that's right. On, right. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't, I wonder. Some I, of it's as much fueled by jealousy over the fact that you got to go out and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, and now we're bringing in a lot of factors, right? But so, I, but I do get it. To add a more sympathetic factor, if you're a woman, say, who's stayed home and raised children, and that's that's been your primary mission mm-hmm. in life, and you've gone to the store with all your kids, and people have given you dirty looks for for being a breeder. If you've ever experienced that kind of suffering, even just that small kind of suffering, it really hurts, and you really feel the pain of it. And so if there's somebody else, so if you see somebody else who's still in the process of getting there or not quite there or hasn't suffered that way, it is easy to feel, I'm not justifying it, I'm just saying it is easy to feel animosity towards that person. It is easy to feel bitter mm-hmm. because they haven't suffered and you have kind of thing. Yeah, or if you're somebody who's in the process of becoming that, still looking to people who are behind you and that without having fully processed your own grief and the real, a lot of these things, people have to make jumps. They have to, they make jumps by faith, by faith. So they make decisions where their heart's not always there ready Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to make those decisions. So they've not really caught up in process. They've, they've accepted something with their heads. Their hearts aren't caught up. And so then they get caught in the middle where, okay, I've done the, I've done the right thing. I've done the good thing. I've seen it. I've, I've known it objectively. I got married. I, I started to have kids and I've not actually embraced this with my heart. So I'm just angry. Mm-hmm. I'm angry that I'm a mom or that I'm a dad. I'm angry that I'm married. I'm angry that I'm in this situation. I'm, I would much rather be on my career path or whatever, or at least part of me would, but I can't admit that to myself because I've made these sacrifices. And therefore, because I can't deal with these things inside of me, then I'm always looking for somebody else to beat up with that hammer Mm -hmm. so I can process what's inside of me through other people. Well, the irony of what you're saying Mm -hmm. is that that's actually, we are all in a sense in that place. There's none of us that have, on on sexuality especially, there's none of us, us, but, but really on any issue of sanctification, there's none of us who have just arrived and can say, I've got it, I'm done, my feet are planted, my foundation is firm, great. My work is done. Now let's look out at all the losers who are still trying to get there. But because people don't like the feeling of living in these tense places, of living in a perverse world, they want to just say, okay, my work is done. I've, I've planted. Like, I've done hard things. I've done hard things. And that means I've, okay, biblical sexuality solved. Check. Check. Done, done hard things or just accepted hard truths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I have a prospect of doing some hard things, maybe. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> but I accepted the hard truths. I'm reconciled on some level. So mm-hmm. you should be too, right now. Right. Oh, right now. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So I think in some sense, we're talking about the d- deeper truths underneath the cage stage mentality mm-hmm. and the ways that the other places that that appears in our lives. Can you explain cage stage just in case there's somebody listening who doesn't? Yeah, I, I tried to earlier on, but cage stage Calvinist is a phrase that somebody was, I don't know, somebody coined it to say that for a period of years, potentially, depending on your maturity, once you become a, a Calvinist, once you become open to reform theology, you just need to be locked in a cage and mm-hmm. not allowed to interact with people until you mellow and mature. But it's for the same reasons. It's because you've hit up hard against these like big cosmic truths about free will and predestination and the sovereignty of God. 
and you wrestled and you wrestled and you fought and you wrestled and you came out on the other side with a deep understanding uh, of the sovereignty of God. You found it finally inescapable. And so you, it then becomes the only thing you want to talk about and the one thing you need to convince everybody else of and the one thing that defines you as being superior to a bunch of other people, doctrinally, theologically, and ego, and you just simply demand that people embrace and see things the way that it took you years to fight through and see things. You don't respect the process you had to go through. You don't have any respect for the pain that you went through to get there because you're an idiot for years and you realize it now and now you need to go come down from the mountain and go tell all the other idiots just like you how idiotic they are because that'll be really helpful to them. Right. So that's a cage stage Calvinist. And a little bit of a difference because I think for lots of people, what <laughs> the only real consequence of turning that corner is is the the death of yourself and your opening to a bigger understanding of God's grace. There's no like actual real life sacrifices that you're you make. So it's you have in some ways more freedom with sure. something that's more theological or intellectual. But mm-hmm. we're talking about the places where the rubber meets the road mm-hmm. and and all of that becomes true in a way that's more personal and maybe even more painful or more difficult or more inescapable. So whether it's cigarettes or diet and exercise or whether it's committing to having get to, to getting married, to having kids, to placing your family above your career or your education or whatever it is. There's lots of real pain and real sacrifices there that once you get married, you're married. Mm-hmm. And you're never going to be unmarried again. You can be ex-married, but not unmarried. Mm-hmm. Once you have kids, you're a mom or you're a dad, period, forever. And that never changes. And so there's just no going back on some of the, on these decisions. You have to reckon with, this is your life now. So the pain is amplified, and so too can the intensity with which you deal with other people about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I think so many of us are so insecure that we want to shore up our own fears and doubts by putting on a blustery facade. And I keep thinking as you're talking, Jake, about this random C.S. Lewis quote somewhere where he says, yeah, of course I have doubts as a Christian. Like Once I became a Christian, I still had doubts. And then he says, but also when I was an atheist, I had doubts. Like as on an atheist, as any given, on any given day, I'd be like, oh boy, God's watching. Right. And now as a Christian, I have days where I'm like, maybe there isn't a God. That was really helpful for me hmm. to, to just realize like, Doubt's sort of intrinsic. To- doubt, is in, doubt is intrinsic. Fear is intrinsic. It says give your anxieties to God because we have anxieties. We have these things to work through. Faith is the, I mean, if we didn't have these things, then we wouldn't need faith. We need faith precisely because we have fears and doubts and unbelief. Faith isn't just, I have faith. So now I feel good about everything. I feel great about everything. It's all solved. And so you don't have to have a blustery facade. Because, yeah, of course, sometimes you're not going to, f- you believe in biblical sexuality, but sometimes you're not going to feel like you know how to have an argument with your husband or wife or, or how to raise your kids properly. Yeah, you've quit smoking, but sometimes you're 
at Walmart and you walk past somebody standing outside and you just have this intense crave craving flashback where it's just like, oh yeah, that's what it was like. Oh yeah, cigarettes are the coolest, the <laughs> best. I hope there's cigarette trees in heaven or in, in the new earth that <laughs> don't bring cancer, that aren't carcinogenic. That'd be great. We all have doubts and fears and sins. And so I guess I'm just saying we should have empathy. I'm just saying something obvious. We should have empathy for each other. Compassion. We're all, we should have compassion. We should have sympathy. We're all humans. We're all humans on this planet doing human things. We're all beautifully broken. So we said at the top of the podcast that this actually came out of a larger conversation. I think it might be worth you, Jake, uh, sharing that larger conversation with people because it'll be helpful for them. Yeah. Uh, so I've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount here at Church of the King, and I've been really struck as I've as we've worked through it by the places where or the place where Jesus gets really tender and compassionate. And that has to do with actually with money and with our livelihoods, with food and drink and clothes and things like that. Those things essential to just living. And Jesus doesn't beat around the bush with the truth. You cannot worship, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and thief, or moth and rust destroy and thief break in and steal. You cannot serve two masters, cannot serve God and and money, straightforward, the way he is with everything else that's sin in the Sermon on the Mount. But then when he deals with that, as soon as he says that, he turns and gets down on his knees and gets really compassionate in a way that he's not compassionate with lust or anger or anything else. Lust, gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. Anger, well, you say you, you're, you fool to your brother that makes you guilty of the fire of hell, right? Jesus is going to say that stuff. Then he's going to come to money and lively, your livelihood and the things essential to your to survival. And he's going to say, don't worship those things, but also don't be anxious. I know that I've told you not to worship them, but don't be anxious about them either. Consider the birds, consider the lilies. Your father in heaven provides for the birds and you're worth more than birds. And he takes, he clothes the grass with lilies and, and there's just, flowers. <laughs> One day it's there, the other day it's not. Won't he clothe you? Doesn't he care for you and love you? And so that got me thinking. I've thought a lot about that because it feels, it's just different. And, and so why, why is that? Well, I think Jesus just spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting. He feels very much the pain of, and difficulty of survival, the vulnerability that we feel about those things and the temptation that comes with it to make our lives about them and to worship them. And so on the one hand, he's saying, don't be worldly, don't worship money, but don't be anxious. If you give up the worship of money, you've embraced God as your father and God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and will provide for you and care for you. And you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be so afraid about this stuff that you, you worship it. And so the reason I'm harping on this is because I've been thinking a lot about be uh, about being sure that we have compassion at the places where God's commands and the lines that we draw clearly, firmly, boldly touch on people's livelihoods. And and sex is right up there at the top of the list. Sexuality is right up there at the top of the list, and we've all made sacrifices to live the way that we do. And those sacrifices are financial, right? Other people have made sacrifices in 
worship of mammon, and they've gotten themselves into corners. They've believed a lot of lies. They've boxed themselves in. They've accrued thousands and thousands of dollars of debt. They've gotten themselves under a mortgage and payments and things that they've adopted a lifestyle that's boxed them into a corner. And you start talking about biblical sexuality while you're talking about reorienting their entire lives and posing a threat to their livelihoods. How am I supposed to pay off this debt? How am I supposed to pay for this mortgage? You're talking about more than just wanting to be a good mom. Like, I'm there. I want to be a good mom. But also, see the chains? Like, and, and so then you come to people who, who have made those decisions and sacrifices and felt the pain of it, not having patience for people who are boxed into the same kind of corners, not giving space to people who are boxed into the same kind of corners. And that's, that's not Jesus in that moment in the Sermon on the Mount. Firm, clear, biblical, unwavering. You cannot serve two masters. You will serve, you will hate the one, love the other, be devoted to the one, serve the other. That's it. It's God or it's money, period. But don't be anxious. Look at the birds. Look at the lilies. You've got a father that cares for you and will provide for you. We have to be able, when we talk about things that hit at people where they live, to be able to draw those clear, hard lines and to be able in the next breath say, look at the birds and the lilies. That's all. But this past pain principle or traumatic Traumatic callousness. I think it might be losing because if you can never remember it, then it's not very <laughs> sticky. Yeah. Traumatic callousness can get in the way. It's the place where you've got your scars there, right? And your pain and tied up to that, the potential for bitterness where there should be gratitude. And suddenly you, you don't have compassion for people who are, are taking steps in, in a direction from, uh, from a different place from the same place you started or from a different place you started from down the road of where you started or ahead of the road of where you started even everything from the freshman in college who's taken on a little bit of debt to the 40 year old career woman who is trying to figure out how to be a mom to her kids and everywhere in between so where's the space where's the where's the holding both and firmly in both hands of you cannot serve God in money. Look at the birds and look at the lilies. Right. So, but that's, that principle in and of itself is just a helpful one to have some kind of hook for, some kind of handle for, because we, we can see it at work all over the place. Looking back on, on my time in campus ministry, I see, I see that at work and in ways I interacted with college students. I mean, not all, not all bad, but it's just there. And... And God uses all of it, but you want to be mature in how you love people and and be mature without being soft. And I know that immature people always think that wisdom looks like selling out. And a lot of things that masquerade as wisdom are, in fact, people selling out. But the fact remains that we have to be mature in how we understand ourselves, our own sin, where we've been, and what we're calling people to. And have to be the right kind of compassionate in the right places and in the right ways with them. So you deal with the rebel the way that you deal with the rebel, but you deal with somebody who's weak very differently. And places that hit our livelihood are places that make us all feel weak. And that's why I think Jesus, at that moment, after he's had so many hard edges, 
an angry word with your brother, hell, gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. You must be perfect as your father. And don't the pagans do this stuff? Like you can't be like that. You have to be perfect like your father in heaven. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't, you know, they blow a trumpet in the streets. Don't be like the hypocrites. They repeat mindless, empty phrases, edge on edge on edge on edge on edge. And then he gets to this stuff and he's got his edge right there out front. Don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. You can't serve two masters, but don't be anxious. Consider the birds and the lilies. He's moved from a place of not just rebellion. He's addressed the rebellion, but there's a weakness that's intrinsic to just human frailty that's there too. And that's where he bends. And so the places where we deal with rebellion that is tied to the weakness of just human existence of frailty, we have to, we have to be mindful to be tender at those places too. And it just occurred to me, maybe for the first time, hey, sex and sexuality is integrally tied to all of that stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we have to deal with the rebellion head on and firmly while also always having the same kind of compassion and tenderness that for the weakness that attends it that Jesus had. So anyhow, that's kind of where this all came from, mm-hmm. or at least in my thinking. And mm-hmm. I was wanting to process it with Nathan and Ben. So we we're on the same page and doing our best to love everybody in our in our church plant, whether they're college students or families or and everyone in between. Mm-hmm. So Well, speaking of past principles, we have a principle that is both past, present, and future of raising money to support this podcast's work through Patreon. So go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. Man, that was a smooth transition. <laughs> Nailed it. Speaking, <laughs> uh, speaking of money tensions, why don't you give some more to Well, you can't serve mammon. What you can do is give it to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. Hey, those people got Ville episodes early. In fact, this episode is coming out. You, you I'm not going to make any promises, but you might be able to hear the third episode of this run we've been doing. Right now. Right if now. If you gave as little as a dollar or $5 a month. Yeah. So go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. We also do fun extra episodes, just a little bit more casual behind the magical wall of bonus content over there. Every once in a while, we'll put up a video. There's just a vast swath of cool stuff that happens and you're supporting this podcast you're also supporting the ville and chip and lance show and things like that so if you enjoy this podcast or you enjoy the other creative endeavors that we do in the larger sort of sanity verse then go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity and final word from you ben no final word from me nathan there'll be absolutely no final word nothing from ben not even one more word bask in that meta textualists until you're done basking stay sane after that go nuts (laughs) 